Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon to you. It's a Wednesday. It's November the 8th, and it's really good to be here with you for the call. A warm welcome from all the team here at AusBiz. So if you've never watched the program before, which is shocking, we will cover 10 stocks that have been picked by you, our viewers, over the course of an hour. And I've got two expert guests here with me in studio to give us their view. We try to stick along the lines of buy, hold, sell on the day. But of course, the conversation often goes beyond that. So here today with me in studio, both, what a pleasure, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial and Sean Cartwright of Anadara Asset Management. It's really good to have you guys both here with me in studio. Okay, just to sort of set the scene, we've seen continued strength in the United States, bit of a rally happening. Um, So what do you make of where we sit in terms of the ASX at an index level? Um, <clears throat> look, we all we all saw the um, RBA put interest rates up again yesterday. Um, I know that we were testing those highs a couple of months back, mm-hmm. um, and we're just we've got our portfolio balanced um, at the moment. We're sitting in a fair bit of cash. We just don't see the market rallying through those highs until interest rates start to come off. And I think not going up again last month uh, was a bit of a mistake. And I think we've just kicked the can down the road a little bit. So, as you said, though, America, seven days straight now, I think they've uh, finished in the green. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we need to see a little bit of a pullback uh, now before we can get any higher. And I think our market, we're just clinging to this really critical level um, right now. I think if we can't if we can't trade sideways or up a little bit over the next few sessions, I think we're going to see 62, 6,300. Cool. Um, so that 7,000 ish level is really important. It's it's often referred to as a psychological level, but still, these things matter sometimes in markets when it comes to momentum. So, Michael, we had another interest rate hike. I know you're not a macro strategist, but as every investor, we need to be cognizant of what's you know going on in terms of interest rates and how it impacts, um, you know other asset classes. So when you think about mm, potentially another interest rate hike here in Australia, arguably the RBA has been behind other central banks. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that spell bad news for equities necessarily? Look, it's always difficult to say there's always the macro um, global situation playing out as well. But I think the market has started to price in higher interest rates and that's, you know, then therefore then factored into equity markets. But it's difficult because forecasts for inflation or forecasters have been sort of increasing and notching up their forecasts for inflation for FY24 basically all year. So they've been behind the curve in terms of the forecast and therefore interest rate expectations have also been behind the curve and been forced to catch up to those higher inflation expectations. Um, it's very difficult to see the equity market having a sustained rally when unless you see interest rates come down or bond yields come down a lot for that discount factor or whether you see earnings pick up a lot. And at the moment, we don't really have either of those two playing out. 
So we're, we're cautious at the moment. We do have a lot of cash in our managed fund. A lot of our clients have increased exposure to fixed income on the private wealth side of things, just because it's difficult to get overly excited on a sustained blowout type rally. We saw the US market bounce off technical support, the 200 day moving average. We've seen a bit of a recovery off the back of that. Um, we'll obviously take the rally, but I mean, the ASX has been pretty range bound now for 15 years, except for the dividends that you've received, the capital growth has been pretty anemic really. So you've always got to look below the surface, maybe look at the mid cap index or even the small cap index Ooh, for value. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, we're not, we're just pretty agnostic. Are, are to, you sort of, do you have a high cash balance as well? Yeah, in the fund, it's about 25%. Oh, wow. um, clients have up to about 30 to 40% in fixed income for those that want to go down that path. Obviously, yeah. not everyone does. Some people like to be fully invested in equities through the cycle, but it's, it's definitely a challenging situation. It's hard to see where things go from here unless bond yields start to fall mm -hmm. rapidly. And we think inflation will remain pretty sticky for some time. The, the final point is that the RBA is using interest rates to tackle inflation when it's really a, a difficult blunt instrument to use. I mean, the RBA's own modeling is for every 1% increase in interest rates, the impact on inflation is between 0.1 and 0.3% or something. Yeah, so. well, I mean, even anecdotally, just in conversation yesterday, and there's been a raft of CBA charts going around just how disproportionately these interest yeah. rate hikes are hurting those in the lower income bracket. Those that have savings or own the, their homes or of a certain age, yeah. quite happy. Well, I mean, the banks this time around, of the 4% up until yesterday's rate rise, um, for the 4% of rate rises we've seen over the past 18 months or whatever, the banks have only passed on 3.4% of those rate hikes. So they're actually doing people a favor. <laughs> I don't know if it's intentional or if it's them <laughs> protecting their profits with, or having intense competition yeah. um, in the mortgage space. But it's an indication that, you know, potentially the RBA is going to have to increase even further if they really want to tackle inflation. But look, there's a good chance Australia's a bit lagged behind the rest of the world and will play out in time. But there's all these different factors and this is the problem at the moment. It's hard to grapple everything and get and a clear read. And you haven't gone grey just yet, Michael. Only That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, look, we're not going to solve that big problem right now, but what we can do is perhaps find some companies in the small to mid-cap space, as Michael was saying, you know, that are attractive to investors. So just to get us going, we will be talking about Dicker Data, Abacus Property Group, Coria, which I think we'll all learn something about, Cube and Info Media. But in the bigger end of the town, I picked stock of the day today as James Hardy. Last I checked, the company was the best performer on the 200 after unveiling a $200 million share buyback and reporting a record second quarter profit as higher selling prices and lower costs offset a decline in volumes across its key segments. Global net sales came in just shy of $1 billion with adjusted net income of 180 million up 2%. Adjusted earnings per share were also higher to 41 cents up 3%. Operating cash flow up 74% to a record. And looking ahead, the company sees third quarter adjusted net income to come in between 165 to $185 million. So, Really interesting story, I think, being told here, guys. Um, you know, I've had a few notes pop into my inbox, one from Goldman Sachs saying, you know, the first take is that the quarter was in line with expectations, but the third quarter guidance was substantially stronger. It rates James Hardy a buy. What are your thoughts, Sean? Um, look, I, I, you have a look at a company like this, the uh, record profit share buyback. We're up about 13 or so percent when I checked uh, a few minutes ago. Um, it's pretty hard to put a buy on it right here. Um, 
I, I'd probably say we'd look to buy if it was to fall another 10%, pull back to where it was. Um, I think that they'll continue to do really well and I think um, profits and uh, revenue will increase. I think what we see, some of the reports we've read, um, is that as housing prices increases, renovations increase and um, increased renovations obviously help um, companies like James Hardy. Um, I think if you've got it, certainly hold it. Um, but I wouldn't put a buy on it right now, uh, not until it pulled back a little bit. So just too expensive at this time. It's an yeah. interesting one, isn't it, Michael? Because we've had a lot of um, you know doomsday scenarios painted about even the U.S. housing market. Yes, lots of people are locked into 30-year mortgages, which makes them less likely to move. So new building, perhaps slowing. But to Sean's point, you know, renovation, perhaps it's a renovator's renaissance happening now. Yeah, well, that's potentially what we're seeing with the forecast going forward. Because as you point out, new home starts in the US have just fallen off a cliff mm-hmm. because no one's out there buying new homes because no one wants to take on a new mortgage with the rates so high and given the way that their mortgage system works. Um, James Hardy gets 66% or roughly two thirds of their revenue from the US. So it's a very important market for, for them. Um, but today's update showed that they've been able to increase prices, I think about 15%. It's always a good sign that even in a tough market, if you can increase prices and get away with it. And they're also winning market share despite those price increases in, in the plasterboard part of the market. So pretty enviable position for this company to be in. They are very high quality. It's potentially a bit counterintuitive given everyone's pretty pessimistic on housing markets domestically and overseas. Um, but this is one that we do hold for a lot of people and we're happy to buy more off the back of the good report. Um, again, there is still a lot to play out within the broader uh, landscape that James Hardy plays in. So I wouldn't be increasing your weighting too much. Uh, but if you don't hold it, we'll be comfortable to add this to a portfolio. So that's a buy, that's a buy. even today. Even today, hopefully okay. the analysts come out tomorrow with upgrades and it does another 5%. <laughs> All right. Hope it's not a strategy. Anyways, Michael, we'll leave that one there. Let's go to the companies that have been picked by you. And the first one is from Martin and it is Dicker Data. So it is a distributor of IT, essentially, if you would like to call it that. It was out with the trading update just last week. Um, so uh, margins have improved over the past couple of quarters, just driven by the product mix. Um, so this is a company that you know has been around for a very long time, very uh, you know still well owned by the founder of the business who is still involved in running the business. Um, many people sort of talk to us about the strength in uh, the management of Dicker Data. Uh, don't know if that is something that you consider when you're investing, Michael. What do you think of Dicker Data specifically? It's a good quality business, and as you say, it's been around for a long period of time and has delivered some pretty decent numbers. Um, consistently now for for a while. Um, They sit in an interesting space because essentially they're just a wholesale distributor of products that others create. So if you think about Cisco, Dell, HP, Microsoft, Lenovo, those kind of things. Um, But they've benefited a lot in recent years from the shift into the cloud. Obviously a lot of businesses out there upgrading their software, getting access to the cloud. That continues to play out and, and that's just not gonna slow down really anytime soon. It is a lower margin business. You know, They're looking to fling out enormous amounts of volume and then clip the little bit of margin on top of that. So that is something that does concern us a little bit, but they have an enormous amount of warehouse space. So to put it in perspective, they've got 29,000 square meters um, big distribution facility in Kernel in Sydney. 
So the average you know, Olympic size swimming pool is about a thousand square meters. So they've got enormous warehouses, they keep everything on site and then they're able to distribute quickly. Uh, but they had a very good update a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was. Um, revenue numbers were, were pretty good, their margins have, have been maintained. So it's not a bad quality company by any means, but for us, we tend to try and find businesses with bigger margins um, and more, you know, and that are able to sustain and potentially grow those margins. Dicker data potentially can do that, but we just do get a bit concerned sometimes, particularly when you're relying so much on the suppliers for their technological evolution and progress to keep people coming back through the door. So I'm gonna go hold on it. Thank you. Dicker data, thoughts? Um, yes, I, I agree. Um, uh, the margins are a little bit too narrow for us. So on um, 3.1 billion in revenue, it made uh, 70 million bucks. So just clipping the tickets a little bit too thin. They did um, recently acquire um, iPro, which is a security ca uh, camera vendor. I think that uh, completed only within the last month. And I think that just gives them an extra product that they can sell through their existing channels. So it might help with uh, some of their top line revenue numbers. Um, the report they put out in August, um, the market seemed to respond really well to it and had a really nice kick up in the share price. Um, but I'm, I'm going to sit with a hold as well. There isn't enough here to excite us. It is a really well run business, great management team. Revenues are growing steadily, uh, but there just isn't enough to excite us here. It's a hold. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Martin, that one was for you. Look, um, sometimes, <coughs> if you like, you can give us a bit of context uh, when you submit your question as so far as whether you already own it, if you'd like to buy it. Um, you know, just give us a little bit of context. Sometimes it helps as well. Well, it helps us help you potentially. And don't forget, this is not financial advice. This is information only. We're having a discussion about these companies, but you will need to do your own research, of course, and get advice if you do need it. So just keep that in mind, s'il vous plaît. I don't know why I switched to French there, but anyways. Let's get to Abacus Property. So it is the second stock of the day and it's been picked by Terry. Hi Terry, I hope you're listening or watching. Sean, can I start with you? Uh, because property is one of those sort of vexed um, sectors right now. Yeah. However, Abacus is a little different. It's not, you know, retail, it's not office. So is it, um, you know, well, I mean, it's a little bit of office and retail, but it's also got storage as well. So do you like the mix? Um, not anymore. Oh. So boring, boring, boring. Um, I spoke about this the last time I was on the call. This was one of the picks um, and it was a really hard sell. So Abacus actually spun out Storage King um, oh, recently. It, it only completed, I think, about six weeks ago. And that's okay. where you see the big drop right. off in, um, in revenue. <laughs> I haven't so, been keeping up with my Abacus news. My apologies. Well, there's nothing to keep up with. It is. <laughs> Um, so they were, st the Storage King asset, we thought that was really good business and now they're pretty much just an office manager, um, an office property manager. Um, if it hasn't already happened, I'm a bit out of whack here on my dates, but it will fall out of the ASX 200. So you're going to see all the big um, instos and all the ETFs will be selling this one. If you still hold it, run for the hills and find something else. That's a sell. <laughs> yeah. Michael, can you disagree with that? Uh, look, the whole thing is the Storage King part of the business was probably the most exciting yeah. part of that company. Um, storage had gone through a massive boom. Population growth really does support that space. But now it's really left with tier two or even tier three commercial office assets. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult to get, again, too excited about that space, given what we know is playing out at the moment with office space in general, even sort of 
tier one buildings in the center of the CBD are having to offer enormous incentives to get people through the door and maintain those occupancy rates. So I do get a little bit worried sometimes about these occupancy numbers. They do look good at the headline number. What is the actual read through yield or read through rents that they're actually achieving on those sites? Um, it does screen cheap, but a lot of the property space does at the moment. Um, and you're sort of getting a yield of about 6.8, 7%. So it's not bad at all, but you've got to remember now you can get three month US treasuries at uh -huh. 5%. Yep. So I still think there's a bit of adjustment to go there with cap rates. Um, so for now, I'll be cautious on Abacus as well as I would with all um, the REITs, REITs that are out there. I do think at some point you will be able to get an opportunity there, but we're not happy to go off just yet. So I'm gonna go a sell on it. Do you, Michael, have a lot of clients expressing interest in fixed income more now? Because that's, in some cases, pretty much risk-free. Yeah, definitely there's, I think bank hybrids have introduced a lot of retail investors to the fixed income space. Historically, Australia as a population and investment cohort has been underexposed to fixed income. If you look at sort of Europe and the US, the average person's portfolio has a lot of fixed income. But in this country, People have become used to, you know, bank dividends of five, six, seven percent, fully franked. Um, historically, as well, people with their investment properties were getting five, six, seven percent, and all of a sudden, you're confronted with a situation where bank dividends have fallen. Your rental yields on your residential investment properties has fallen a lot. Cash rates obviously came down there a long way from the early 2000s. Um, so people are being forced to search for alternatives um, to get some decent yield. And the reality is a lot of these fixed income products are now far more accessible than they used to be. In the past, it was really the domain of institutions or big super funds, whatever it may have been. Um, but now, you know, you can access very high quality managed funds um, that are investing across the fixed income space. Uh, a lot of it's an educational piece as well, having discussions with clients and just opening their eyes to what they can get these days. Because in many cases, you can start to achieve equity-like returns in the fixed income space, you know, seven, eight, nine percent with some private credit stuff and you're getting the lower volatility and lower risk than with equities. So for a lot of people, they're happy to, mm -hmm. you know, withgo yeah. the uncertainty in equities, the volatility in equities for the time being as they're getting that seven, eight, nine percent But you've got to be careful because, you know, private credit, particularly in the property space, is, is mixed with a lot of risk. Um, but also if interest rates keep moving high because inflation remains uncertain, then a lot of, you know, fixed rate, fixed income can be a bit of an issue, but it is far lower risk than equities, obviously. Live conversation, Brian Eve. Yeah, um, private credit, uh, we, we've actually been doing a fair bit in this space, yeah. um, personally, and with uh, with clients, we're getting, we're getting in the private credit space, 15, 20% with director's guarantees, uh, penalty interest rates at 10%, like it, it's, there, there is an element of risk, of course, um, but we're even through some of the prime brokers we face, um, we're getting notes, capital guaranteed at nine and a half percent. So, you know, and this is this is where it's changed our views on a lot of these buy, sell, hold views. Um, if we don't see a twenty percent gain, we can't put a buy on it because mm -hmm. we're we're getting risk free rate now. Yeah. It's about ten percent. So, so interesting. Yeah, I think you got to be yeah. So we try for our fixed income sort of model portfolio just to be diversified across the different types of fixed income. Obviously you've got private credit, yeah. you've got corporate bonds, you've got domestic, international, you've even got government bonds. There's very good quality long short funds out there that might use a little bit of leverage in the fixed income space. You also want a combination of floating and fixed rates depending on where you think you are in the cycle. 
and also the duration of many fixed income products. Um, do you want to take any interest rate risks? So do you want a zero duration fund or one with a five years, 10 years? All the, the way that the curve oscillates has a big impact on different types of maturities and duration um, in the portfolio. Okay, I digress because we're all about stocks for this hour. Yes. So let's get to the next on the list. And just to clarify, so that was a hold for Abacus for you? I'm a sell You're on a sell. Abacus okay. just because I think there are better alternatives Got it. out there. Thank you. All right, let's get to the third stock on the list, Coria. Q-O-R is the ticker code. Don't talk about this one much, but it is the third stock and it's been picked by Murray. So this is essentially internet safety, uh, internet safety for families. And I do believe it's being used in schools. So going through uh, its most recent quarterly, of course, it's talking up ARR as a lot of these small tech companies do, especially ones that aren't profitable. Now, Coria says that it will be uh, expecting a positive operating cash flow for the December half. Does that get you excited? No. Um all these tech companies are forecasting significant growth and things like that. Um, look, this business, it looks like it's it's relatively well run. Revenues are increasing pretty steadily. They're doubled in the last year, um, but on 82 million or so in revenue, they burnt 86. So um, their, uh, their, their cost base is accelerating with their revenue. And it's, uh, I think back to the dot-com boom when it was a bit of a land grab, spend, spend, spend to take market share. Um, it's a, a pretty good uh, business and it looks like they're trying to become a, a global leader in this space. Um, recently taken on a $30 million debt facility. Um, they haven't said what it's for, I don't think, but I, I assume they're gonna use it to repay some of the con notes um, and other debt that they have in there. Um, look, I think there are better opportunities on the market right now. If you're already in hold, but uh, I'm on the border of hold versus a sell. All right. Well, yeah. I will just see what Michael says and then I'll see which way I'm going to try to push you. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, yeah, burning cash, like has this company got the message from the markets that now is not the time to be doing that? We would hope so, um, because the last two years has probably been the worst environment for these types of companies. Going back four years, five years, this was probably the perfect was a perfect environment for a company like this, um, because these sorts of companies, although they're growing revenue extremely fast, if they're burning through cash, the market has absolutely hated that in a rising interest rate environment. And so, any of these companies with with long dated cash flows, so businesses that are investing a lot now to try and generate strong earnings five, 10 years from now have just been smashed. It seems good in theory, but you're leaving a lot to chance or there's greater risk for an investor taking on the expectation that you're gonna get a great earnings in five years once all this investment's out of the way. So the market has really tried to force companies to you know, tidy their balance sheets up and try and make the transition to a more mature type business earlier on. And this is a company that to date hasn't done that. Um, the headline numbers look great, like growing revenue significantly. Their average revenue per user has consistently gravitated higher, which is a key metric that many of these tech companies were rewarded for a few years ago. Um, however, the problem is they just keep burning through cash and the market's just struggling to get too excited about that at the moment. But they have made some decent inroads in the US. I think about 3% of US district schools are now using this platform. Um, so that's a big market that's untapped and they are operating yeah. in this huge sort of regulated government backed space. And there is obviously a big move for cybersecurity and anti-bullying and, and all those kind of buzzwords. So if they can pull it off, they'll be a massive business. Um, but you know, at one point 
it's going to become impossible to raise more equity or even if they do raise more equity it's going to be at a huge discount to the valuation to try and entice people in so for mine i'm going to go a i'm going to go a hold on it so i don't think it's a horrible company i think it's come back a lot but it's a very high risk play yeah, so you're happy to sort of not buy now, lose a little bit of the upside if yeah. it does prove its I mean, ambitions you, It's already be fallen so far, and this is never a good justification for holding something, but the market has penalised the business a lot for the cash flow it's been burning. So if they are making that transition, they did have one positive free cash flow quarter, I think, a couple of years ago. So if they can get all those timings right, they might be able to pull it off. So I'm not going to buy because I think it's very high risk. Mm-hmm. But if someone's holding and you've held it for a while, then maybe there is a turnaround there. I don't think it's the worst specky type story out there. Yeah. Okay. We might get to one of those. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Let's get to Cube Holdings then. <clears throat> Cube Logistics, I think it used to be called. Maybe it still is. So this is, oh, Murray, you're scoring today. Another company here for you. So um, what do you think, guys? Like, is this a defensive um, company to have in the portfolio, Michael? It's, look, it's certainly a more old school, traditional type business. Um, they did a great job in acquiring Patrick a few years ago, um, a while ago now, I think 2015, 2016 from memory. They bought that at about a billion dollars. It's now internally valued at 2.4 billion. So it is a kind of a more boring logistics freight um, type company. They can achieve growth if they do buy well in the cycle and improve those assets. The problem is for a company like this, they do tend to carry a lot of um, leverage and there's obviously a lot of capex that goes into maintaining all their assets so they're forecasting I think higher capex next year their interest bill is going to go up a lot as well so from my standpoint it's 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 again look it's pretty much flat over you know five yeah. years it doesn't pay an enormous did, dividend no, yield I was say, is yeah. the dividend making it worthwhile yeah no. and, and particularly now um, with interest rates so much higher. So I don't think you're going to get ever immense growth from something like this. There are always a lot of moving parts. You're constantly, you know, by the time you finish one project, CapEx maintenance, you know, you're having to start the next one straight away on one of your other assets. So complex businesses, not typically our go. So I'm going to go a sell on it to allocate elsewhere. Yeah, because it's opportunity mm. cost, right? If you're, yeah. You could say, well, it's yeah. so defensive. It's you a know, better quality yeah. business than the old family zone, the business that we touched on yeah. previously. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, a, again, as you say, it's the opportunity yeah. costs and weightings in portfolios and stuff. Cube, any interest in holding it for uh. what? No, not uh, it, it is. It's an exceptionally well-run business. Um, really strong revenues, um, consistent, uh, consistent earnings. Uh, they recently won the Lion Town contract, so Lion Town's been in the news a lot. I think that was worth mm. 170 or 80 million bucks. Um, I think they're quite an innovative business. So I didn't realise, but they've been testing double-stacked uh, road trains. Oh, really? Um, Trying to introduce, I guess, uh, better margins into their God, into their as a fleet. driver who just got rear-ended yesterday, I think. Ooh, danger, oh, really? danger! Yeah, it was <laughs> well, not a big deal. But, well, they, but these are the sort of things they're <laughs> yeah. they're looking at. Um, I have to agree though with Michael. It's a sell. They just it'll continue to probably track sideways or slightly upward. The rev- the dividend isn't strong enough to uh, attract us to it. It's a sell and redeploy the cash into something with a bit more upside. All right, I'm gonna just because we haven't had a lot of buys, I'm gonna give you guys both a heads up right now. I will be asking you for a buy toward the end of the program. 
Okay, so have a little think Sounds on that. You're good. welcome, viewers. <laughs> I just want to keep you interested and engaged. All right, the next one that is on the list is Infomedia. Okay, so I just was looking at some of the broker recommendations. We've got an upgrade recently, just a couple days ago, to a buy from a hold by Bell Potter. UBS has a buy on the stock. Sean Partners has a buy on the stock, saying that it's cash earnings outpaced consensus. Uh, and talking about really tight cost control at Infomedia. Sean, do you know the company? Do you like it? Um, I, I do, and I actually think it's uh, got a really good management team and it's relatively well run. Um, it is trading on a really high multiple though. Um, so I, I think our view is that it's fo probably fully fully valued at this uh, at these levels. Um, they're a data-driven organization um, and they've got a really good platform solution. Um, I just think even though they've got uh, pretty consistent growth uh, in their revenue. They've got decent earnings. Uh, we'd, we'd put a hold on it if you already held it. Um, I think, I, I don't see enough upside to put a buy on it. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that with the high multiple that it's currently trading on, we have to put a hold on it. And, yeah, sometimes yeah. things are just not at the right price. But if you yeah. saw a significant pullback and the conditions currently oh. are, you know, we're, we're pretty much the same, you'd be happy to buy? Absolutely. 20 cents lower, um, we'd be, a, we'd be a, a buy, I think. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Michael. What do you think? It's not a bad business by any means. It typically has pretty good quality screening metrics. Um, you look at sort of the projected earnings growth, it's meant to be in the vicinity of what was it of around 19% for the next three to five years. So if you compound that each year, then very quickly today's multiple starts to look a lot better. Um, the margins for the business had, a, as you said in the recent update, were very, very good. It had a bit of a, a jump there. Um, it's not a business that we've ever owned. It has come up from time to time just on some of those quality filters. Uh, but they have a pretty entrenched network across a lot of car dealerships um, across the country just in order to you know, monitor the life cycle of the cars themselves as well as the different customers that are out there. So it's like a software as a service type platform that goes out into the, the car dealership networks um, as well as some of the, um, some of the auto mechanics, etc. as well. So look, from my standpoint, I don't know enough about this company to give it a buy. Um, I'm happy to go a hold on it because it does have some of those good growth numbers, but it would be something I'd need to do a lot more work on just to try and understand um, what the what competitors the business encounters um, and what is really the one thing that's been holding back the market from getting overly excited despite the recent update. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys. Really considered um, thoughts on all of those companies. So I'll let you guys, I was going to say wet your whistle, but you don't have a glass of water, so you'll just have to sit tight for a moment. Um, I'll just quickly sum up what we've learned so far. So James Hardy, for Sean to buy today, it's just too expensive. But if it pulled back about 10%, he would be a buyer. It's a buy though for Michael. He does hold it in some client portfolios, but it would only be a buy if you don't really uh, you know, have exposure to this company already. So don't you know, go all in. Uh, Dicker Data was the first on the list. It's a hold for both of my guests. Um, for Sean, there's just not enough margin. He'd like to see a bigger margin business. That's so not exactly what he'd be looking for. Quality business though, they both agree. But again, Michael would look for a company with more margins. They agreed on that one. They also agreed on Abacus Property minus the storage. It is boring, boring, boring in the words of Sean Cartwright and yeah, Michael's just cautious on REITs in general, recognizing there will be a time to get in, but that's just not now. 
Coria, and thank you, Michael. It was called Family Zone. I was thinking the whole time. I know what I just couldn't think of it. So a hold for Sean. It's a well-run business. Revenue set steadily growing, but it is burning cash. Michael agrees. Says the headlines look great, but what's going on under the hood? Not great. However, it's got a huge addressable market and seems to be making inroads in the United States. It's a hold officially, but it's a high risk if you were going to just nibble on it a little bit. Cube Holdings, it's a sell for both of my guests. Both agree it's a well-run company, some defensive qualities, however, um, opportunity cost loss because they can't see really big sort of capital growth coming through. And given our conversation about fixed income and some of the returns that are on offer there, the dividend payout's not anything to really write home about either. And you heard them just talking about Infomedia. It's a hold for both of my guests. So we have um, our fantasy portfolio picked by the investment committee. Our new meeting is up online, osbiz.com.au. Going into November, no really big moves were made, but 1% was trimmed from both MA Financial and uh, it was added to Challenger. So how is the portfolio performing? Up 5.61% on a cumulative return basis since March 1st, 2022. Stay with us. Uh, none of these companies will be put to our investment committee. And as far as the sell goes, well, Cube Holdings or Abacus are not in there, so no changes coming from today. All right, I just want to get you across a virtual investor event that we have coming up. I'm really excited about this one. I've got a soft spot, as you all know, for small caps. So on the 16th of November from 11 a.m., osbiz.co forward slash small caps 10 high conviction picks from leading expert money managers, all in the small cap area. Also, we'll do a very quick buyer edition of the call. So only micro caps, and I've just locked in the guests to do that, and I'm really looking forward to it. So you just have to register at osbiz.co forward slash small caps 23. It is free as always, and you can stream it live or watch on demand, of course. Coming up, Newmont Corporation, which should be an interesting discussion or a very short one, depending on yeah, what these guys think, because of course this is um, yeah for old Newcrest shareholders, I suppose. Service Stream, AMA Group, Sierra Rutal, and Gen X Power in the renewables space. All right, let's get to it. Sean, Newmont, I was a bit surprised, and this is for Emma, to see this one on the list, considering. Uh, it's takeover of Newcrest. But Newcrest yeah. shareholders clarify for me. They now do own a small parcel of Newmont, essentially. Yeah, um, that's right. So Newmont, it's only been trading um, with a CDI for about a week or two. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, Newcrest was Australia's largest gold producer, listed gold producer. Um, Newmont have, have been quite active as well. So there's a, a quite a few companies uh, that we own in Australia, and we know that Newmont have been knocking on their door. They're looking for acquisitions, and they seem to be focusing on Australia. Um, I think the fact that they bought uh, Newcrest uh, was a really smart idea. Um, I'd be a sell though here, and I'd be looking to redeploy the capital. If you were looking for a, a, a big gold stock, I'd be shifting it into Northern Star, which is now the ASX's largest gold producer. Um, I just think, given the relative size of the market cap um, on NASDAQ, I think there's more upside in something like Northern Star. Um, are you of the view that all, let's call them retail investors, need some sort of exposure to gold, be that by an ETF, physical gold, or a gold company? I am not. Yeah. But um, 
I, I do think so. Gold, it's at a really interesting level right now, and it, it looks like if it can get through these levels, it could break out. Obviously, with our weaker Aussie dollar, gold has performed relatively well. Um, so keep that in mind. But I, I think gold has its place, and there's a time and a place for it. Um, I think if you had gold exposure through Newcrest, I think then the next logical Right. choice to make would be Northern Star. You'll have to give Sean a ring if you want more details on that. So Northern Star is the preferred pick in the gold space here in Australia. Michael, any thoughts on Newmont um, and I guess strategy around gold at this time as well? So yeah, Newmont is basically the biggest gold company in the world. Yeah. Um, so if you wanted just a broad gold exposure, I can understand why people would be drawn to this. Um, but if you're looking for more growth from your gold investments, I think it becomes easier to achieve that if you can pick, it's not easy, never, nothing's ever easy, but if you can find a gold company like Northern Star, like Evolution Mining with fewer assets, where each new asset that they're able to bring into production or develop or acquire has a bigger, bigger marginal benefit to the business. Um, therefore, I think they would capture the upside of a gold price substantially more because Problem with Newmont is you're going to have this whole series of gold projects all around the world, geographically diversified, and some will be performing very well and some won't be. Um, it'll give you more diversification. The company won't ever blow itself up completely like some of the gold companies on the ASX might have done when they focus on a single asset and get it wrong. Um, so it gives you that diversification aspect, but it also reduces some of your upside. So that's my, my view on gold. Our preferred picks have been Northern Star and Evolution Mining in the past. We prefer Australian-based producers who, are, who basically have their costs in Aussie dollars um, and then they're selling the gold in US dollars. And then they benefit a lot when the Aussie dollar falls like it has in recent times. Um, our view on gold is we're pretty, again, agnostic. We don't really have a major view one way or the other. It's not something we feel investors have to own. Mm -hmm. um, our belief is that higher interest rates and higher bond yields is probably negative for gold. There obviously is a lot of geopolitical tensions which have been supportive, but when you know 30% of the world's debt was in negative yield territory, gold was quite an attractive safe haven type investment because you weren't getting any yield on your gold, but you weren't getting any yield on your treasury investments either. Um, now you've got that alternative, that safe haven alternative where you're actually getting rewarded for holding it. I see less and less need to hold gold. That's just a personal view. There are a lot of gold bugs out there who do you know, think that a move away from the, the fiat currencies is a good thing, good place to be. And that might well prove the case if things do blow up globally. Um, but yeah, for mine, I'm happy to have some gold in the portfolio, but more as a trading mechanism as opposed to a long-term investment. On Newmont in particular, I would go a sell, not that I think the share price is going to crater or anything like that. I just think that if you wanted gold, there are better alternatives out there. Northern Star would be a good start. Evolution Mining is another option that's making a bit of a comeback these days too. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, let's go to the next on the list, which is SSN. That is Service Stream. It is the seventh stock picked by Jonathan. So this is in the services. Um, you know, the name sort of explains that. But, so, but you know, for telcos, for renewables... Um, what else for major infrastructure, um, for transport, telecommunications? Let's hope they're not the back end of Optus today. Um, Michael, Service Stream. Yeah, interesting business. As you point out, it's service provider really across all those large utility and, type and technology assets. service providers. That's right. And they had a, a, a big contract there for a while, um, maintaining the MBN and all those sorts of projects as well. When the MBN was rolling out, it was good for them, but that's now passed. Now they're just in the maintenance mode where it's obviously less beneficial. 
Um, it's, there are a fair bit of tailwinds for the space at the moment. However, they haven't really been a consistent performer over a long period of time. Um, their operating cash flow has been better in recent years and that's allowed them to pay off some of the debt. Um, but as you can see here, this was a company everyone loved when the NBN rollout was happening because they were a big part of all that servicing. Mm -hmm. Now that's all been built, that's sort of faded away. From, from my standpoint, um, I would be steering clear, although I do believe that the company is probably on a more of a recovery phase, just whether or not they're going to be able to sustain that recovery. Um, but all the key metrics have been sort of falling away for a number of years now, so that makes it always a bit challenging for us to get too excited about. So I'm going to go a sell. Sell on service chip. Mm, yes. Boy, we are handing out the sales left, right and center <laughs> here today. What about you, Sean? Um, yeah, look, it, 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 it's a really thin margin business. Again, one Ooh, of those we've businesses. We've already learned. Yeah. We don't like thin margins around here. We don't. Um, it's, um, look, we think it's fully valued at this price as well. Um, the, the share price was kind of stalling a little bit and then there was a 50 odd million dollar uh, tax refund they got back in June which gave the share price a really good kick um, but it seems to have stalled again since then. Um, I mean some of the analysts have changed their ratings from hold to buy. Um, our view is probably it's a sell. Um, I think they'll continue to increase their revenue. I think the margins doesn't look like there's any avenue for them to, to grow those. Um, they've still got a, a fairly high debt stack, which is going to eat into any of their profits. So um, I'm with Michael. Sell. Cool. All right, guys. Thank you. Uh, the next on the list is AMA Group, and I wanted to look up some um, recommendations on that. Uh, but I forgot to. So uh, let's get to AMA Group. Um, we've got a buy, here we go, from Bell Potter and a neutral uh, on the company from UBS. And I can't see any other coverage. So what about AMA Group? Yeah, so AMA Group, they're a panel beater smash repair yeah. network. Um, they've got about 140 stores throughout Australia. Um, it was a roll up. So generally we're not a big fan of roll-ups. So roll-ups, I think, um, especially when you've got this many shops and you're trying to bring them all together, um, it can be really hard to integrate some of those back office and streamline the, the functionality. Um, we've been burnt in the past by these roll-up type strategies. Um, we think the valuation right now is fair, um, but we also think there's a really poor return on equity and there's a really poor um, EPS earnings per share. Um, Look, it's not something we're really interested in. Um, if they could grow their EPS and their margins, there's potentially some value there. Uh, but high interest rate environments as well typically don't help these roll-up type, um, type operations. So again, sorry, I'm a sell. Yep. Well, no, we want honest opinions around yeah. here. That's what it's all about. AMA Group. What do you make of AMA Group? Would you be putting that in the portfolio on behalf of Ben, who submitted the question if he was a client? Um, no, not for, for us. Um, essentially, yeah, they went on a big roll-up strategy, acquired a lot of businesses, ran up a lot of debt. But those new businesses that were acquiring, when you look to acquire something, you wanted to improve your margins or improve your return on equity. All those key metrics have been in decline. So they borrowed a lot of money, bought these businesses, didn't really integrate them or get the most to optimize what they got out of them. Um, so they ran up a lot of debt. A couple of years ago, they did a, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, they did a large capital raising just to pay off that debt. 
They've recently come back to market again and done another capital raising. Um, they've recently re-signed a contract with Capital Smart. But the t- so it's good that they reduced that uncertainty about losing the contract. However, the contract was negotiated on inferior terms than the market was expecting. Um, so I think it's a business that's doing it pretty tough at the moment. So you've got to be a real bottom feeder and turnaround merchant to be looking into this one. Um, and that's something that I'm not. So you're just avoiding it or selling it. Okay. Fair enough. We're really on a roll here today. Uh, let's get to the next company on the uh, the list today. And we haven't really ventured into the miners to a great degree, apart from Newmont, of course, and the gold miners. So this is a company. So Rutal, it's in the name, uh, Zircon, titanium dioxide minerals. But this is, you know, looking for and, and you know, coming across these in Africa. So it's the ninth stock of the day. It's been picked by less. Um, Michael, Sean, just a quick yes, no. Would you invest in a company that's in Africa to start? Depends on where, which jurisdiction. They're Sierra definitely Leone. better than others. Sierra Leone's probably not the pick of the bunch. Uh, if you, you're brutally do you, do you honest. go offshore when you're looking um, at we, we do, and okay. our, our view is, so we've recently rebalanced our portfolios, taking political risk into account. Yep. We have done really well out of African countries before, but okay. Sierra Leone is not one we'd be comfortable investing in. Shall we go on and talk about this company, Michael? It is quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like They're providing a, one of these niche producer, type commodities. Right? Yeah. They're producing, and what they produce is often used in you know paints, coatings, plastics. Um, so it's the pigment, it's, it's used to create the pigment in those things. So it's somewhat got a very industrial um, connection to what's happening around the world, um, in particular markets such as manufacturing, housing and whatnot. Um, it, although they are producing, they're all in sort of production costs are about $1,150 a tonne. And the realized price for their commodities has been about 1250 So. They are making a margin, but it's not an enormous margin. And I always worry about these niche commodities that often, although they might be rare amongst companies listed on the market, they might not be that rare beneath the ground. So if there was ever more production that came online, then the market could be flooded. Um, And I'm I'm not an expert in this at all. Um, So you probably want to speak to a geologist or someone who's got a better idea about some of these niche commodities, but it's always things that you want to think through before looking at. Mm Again, I'm, I'm going to give it a sell. It is hard to get too carried away. Yeah, with well, the chart like doesn't this. look good either, does it? Not really, no. Yeah, they're, and they're trying to expand their their current mine, so they're probably going to need to raise cash again sometime soon. So, whenever you you have a view that a company's probably come raise, it's probably a good time to jump ship mm-hmm. if you're in there. Okay, so that is a no-go for Sierra Rutal as well. So bless, there you go. SRX is a ticker code for that. And finally, we've got Gen X Power. This is the 10th stock. It's been picked by Angela. So this is an interesting one. I've spoken with the CEO a couple of times um, before. It recently has done a deal with Fortescue uh, to provide um, and to you know be part of its renewable push as well. It's got a big solar project. It's got a really innovative sort of hydro plant way up in Queensland, Kidston. And of course, it's got, I do believe, um, you know, hydrogen uh, ambitions as well. So we are switching to a decarbonized economy. I know it's still early days for a lot of ASX listed companies in that vein. However, uh, you know, you can't stop a train once it's rolling. 
Um, this is one we like okay. and it's one that we're familiar with. So um, you mentioned Kidston. So yeah. we've actually got a few investments in the clean energy space in Queensland, mm -hmm. specifically because of the type of grants and um, support the Queensland government are providing to projects yeah, like Jennings these. Yeah, has been very um, Queensland focused because yeah. of the, you know, the welcome, I suppose, it's getting. Yeah, well, the, the, we're, a couple of the other investments we've got not far from here, um, the government are literally paying for the entire build out of all the infrastructure to deliver these projects. So mm -hmm. Queensland, like or love, like or hate the government, um, they are doing a lot to attract this type of um, project to Queensland. Mm -hmm. Bigger shareholder is um, SKIP, which is uh, uh, Farquhar from- um, Atlassian. From Atlassian. Um, sees the biggest uh, shareholder there. Um, I think you mentioned the Fortescue, um, the Fortescue contract. This is a space that we spend a lot of time researching. Our new fund is uh, a clean energy mm -hmm. fund. So this is something we haven't bought yet, but we probably will. Um, I think this is a buy. Well, okay, it's a buy. What are you waiting for exactly to deploy cash into this? Um, so I wrote buy for in my notes, but long term, okay. I think just so this whole net zero thing and the clean energy, I think it's uh, an unrealistic target and unrealistic dream and I think it's going to take a lot longer for these projects to, to play out. Um, you mentioned hydrogen. This is, I, I think they've got a really viable hydrogen project, um, but there are a, there's another hydrogen company that we prefer. So we've actually just deployed a significant amount of capital into that one. Private or public? Uh, it's public. Hazer Group, ASX listed Hazer Group. Okay, it's that, a that qualifies company. your, your yep. bonus, okay? Hazer Group. Yep. Yeah, I, I've interviewed them as well. So you're oh, a believer that they'll get there. It is unbelievable. We just... Um, we actually just underwrote a fair chunk of their rights issue okay. and that share price is up about 30 or 40% in a month. And I think they've got some really good near-term milestones. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Gen X, um, they've got a really good opportunity. They're gonna have a lot of their infrastructure paid for by the government, which is always nice. I think over the long term, this is going to outperform. Um, I, I'd be comfortable investing in it now, although in our fund, I think, um, where we're probably just waiting for a couple more things to line yeah, up. Yeah, so your personal, it's a personal buy. Personal, it's a buy, and for individual client accounts, yeah. it's a buy. Okay, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, Gen X Power, that Kidston um, plant is, it's pumped hydro storage, yeah. and it's the first of its kind. It's got a battery storage facility associated with it, but it's taking an old mine and, yep. and using it. It's pretty amazing, actually, if you go yep. online. And I'm not endorsing the company, but I do think that the technology is really interesting. Yep. What about you? Um, it's not a business I'm familiar with, I, but looking at it just on the face of it, it probably is one of these clean, green energy companies that is more progressed. Um, it's not as speculative as some of the other ones that are on the market. They have a lot of cash on their balance sheet, but when looking at the numbers as they stand at the moment, they are... You know, producing electricity, but their revenue numbers are quite small, like three yeah. and a half million type thing. So there's still a long way for this business to go before it's a, a powerhouse um, in Ooh, the energy supply. Nice pun. So um, <laughs> unintended. <laughs> unintended. Um, so yeah, look. As far as clean businesses go, this is potentially one to keep an eye on. I can't give it a buy. You know, they've yeah. got a lot of work to do in order to deliver and increase the volumes of electricity production, um, but have it on the watch list, it can have it as a hold. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not something that we will own anytime soon. 
Okay. But are you sort of um, looking for opportunities in clean green or are you just agnostic when it comes to some of these mega trends and you're very much bottom up? Well, like it's well, obviously we, we like the idea of a clean green future, but it's very hard when an industry is in its infancy to try and pick the winner now. It's the same with the, with the internet, you know, 20, 25 years ago. There was a you know, plethora of search engines. <laughs> Um, and who would have known that Google would have come out on top? You know, there was NetSpace and there was Yahoo and all that kind of thing. So I think it's too premature in our opinion for tend to focus on ASX 300 businesses yeah. anyway, to be trying to sieve through those companies to work out who's gonna be the best. I think you could play it through something like a, an AGL, one of those bigger companies that's looking to make the transition to being a cleaner business. That's probably the, the safe way to play it or look at ETFs um, and things like that, because they're very specialized. A lot of them don't operate on traditional metrics that you would look for in a business. There's obviously a lot of government support that goes into them as well. Um, but in an ideal world, yes, we would like to be supportive of the space, but in the same time, we, we kind of need to make some money as well. So there's that balance that you have to make. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, Michael, lucky you, we've got about a minute left. So I've got Hazer Group from Sean. Mm -hmm. um, you can talk stock sector, you can talk stock. Mm -hmm. Like, what is there something that you really like right now, given all the risks that's out there? Look, we, on that basis, we like to pick companies that have reported well and have good earnings momentum and good reporting momentum. Um, and a business that's probably come up on the call a lot um, is Ordinate. That's a business that we like. We've liked it for a number of years. It took a while to get going, but has since really started to, to move in the right direction, particularly in August off the back of a very strong update. Um, basically, this is a company that is in the, the digital space, uh, the audio and now the visual digital space um, it and removes the need for cables allows different pieces of electronic equipment to communicate with each other effectively they've produced a protocol which gets embedded um, in the production of all different types of electronic goods so they in 80 percent of new electronics that come to market incorporate this ordinate protocol and brands like Toshiba Bose mm -hmm. these sorts of companies um, and in historically they've been very focused on the audio space but they're now looking to move into the visual space as well which is videos and all that kind of thing. So huge market growing at a, a multiple, I think 13 times the nearest competitor. Um, they were going through some issues around COVID in the aftermath with getting um, certain inputs, so supply chain issues. They seem to resolve themselves. The demand order book is enormous for them. So that's a business that's probably our number one pick, which will now probably put the mocker on it. But yeah, still, we like all it. All right, thanks, Michael. <laughs> thanks for playing along. All right, let's find out what these guys uh, taught us and we did learn a lot about their investment philosophy you know Sean doesn't like uh, roll-ups necessarily he would prefer businesses with punchy margins and uh, doesn't like businesses that are going to need to be raising cash you just heard Michael talk about his philosophy and picking companies as well all right so Newmont it's a sell from both of my guests but both agree that Northern Star if you're would like gold exposure would be the pick of the bunch here in Australia. Service Stream, again, not great margins, fully valued. So that's a sell for Sean. It's a sell for Michael. He says tailwinds, but it's not a consistent performer. He'd still clear, steer clear. AMA Group, it's a sell for both of my guests. It's um, a roll-up strategy. 
um, both of which they didn't speak too highly of, and it's doing it pretty tough right now. Sierra Rutal, it's a sell for both of my guests. Um, one thing is they might need to raise cash coming from Sean. And uh, look, it's a very niche commodity from Michael, so you know he wouldn't be getting in it, particularly given the country that it operates in. And Genex, it's a buy for Sean Cartwright. Uh, he's not yet put it in the fund, but for personal clients, uh, he likes it. He likes um, Hazer Group as well in that clean green space. And uh, number ten for Michael, Genex Power watch list, but. It's just not his style to get into these companies that still have yet a lot to prove with small revenues. Um, his go-to buy right now, though, is Autonate, as you just heard why. Hey, guys, thank you so much. That hour absolutely flew by. Yeah. Sean Cartwright from Nanadera Capital and Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. You, really good to see you guys both in the studio. That was nice. And uh, look, if you would like a company covered, please do email us. You Or you can go to osbiz.co, call picks, or you can tweet to us at Ausbiz TV. It's a real pleasure getting your comments in all the time. So thank you for that. Um, look, we'll get back to the here and now after this very short break. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.